Welcome to the Beehive Live. This is a show we do every week, and this show has become all about the Utah gubernatorial. I like saying gubernatorial, a little bit more sophisticated than governor. The gubernatorial race, which uh, ends on June 30th. Voting has already happened. I believe you can actually go vote in person on June 30th, though. Right now, there's a lot of mail-in things, but there is like an actual your run-of-the-mill, one-day voting at the local junior high that will happen on June 30th, right? Yeah, I don't think you can register with a party on that day, uh, from what I read, but you can. So you have to be Republican to vote in this primary. So if you're not registered as a Republican and the cutoff for that is Friday, uh, don't bother showing up at your voting place because you have to be registered as a Republican. There's a strong argument to not bother showing up, period. But that we won't make that argument. Uh, we will argue for showing up to yeah. our uh, fellow Republicans. GOPers, that, that grand um, old party we all belong to and have for a long time. Um, okay, so Meg, uh, by the way, we forgot to introduce yourself, Meg. Oh, do people not know who I am at this point? I'm Meg. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and uh, there was a debate last night. There was. Prime time. <laughs> Prime time. KUTV. Um, yeah. Clint, winner of the debate, IMO, Rod Decker. Yeah, they pulled Rod Decker out of retirement. Rod uh, Decker is a king among men. I agree with that. I, I, want I've had him one... to, I want him to moderate every debate. I want when my kids are fighting, I want to call Rod and be like, Rod, I need you to come handle this. I need you to come ask the tough questions because that's what he does. Yeah, I thought he was awesome. I thought Heidi was awesome. My, I have one experience with Rod Decker. Uh, when we did the Silicon Soaps grand opening way back in the day, which was just a grand opening for a small little office, not a building just an office. We just signed a lease. And for some reason we did a grand opening and cut a ribbon. Right. Sounds like a Clint uh, Betts special to me. Yep. It's kind of, you know, typical for me. It's like anyone can <laughs> sign a lease, but I'm going to celebrate it. And then uh, we had all the big politicians there. I think the governor was there, the yeah. Senator, the house of representative people, all those people. And so there was news and this is before Rod Decker was retired. Now they only bring Rod Decker out for the big stuff as I believe they should yeah. have always, they should have never wasted his talent on the small stuff. But back then he had to do the small stuff. And so he came to this grand opening where we did this cutting of the scissors again for an office, like a small office inside of a building that had been there for quite some time. Uh, (laughs) And like previously had had like the month before it had like someone else in it, like just a company, just like a normal anyway. So I'm up there like giving like this emotional speech because you know, I get a, I get emotional. I'm an emotional man. I know you will. I'll probably cry at this point. I'll probably cry during this show. Keep going. So I'm like emotional, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we finally were able to sign a lease. I can't believe our credit was good enough that we could do this. You know, that's that type of thing. Like, wow, this is a really hard thing to do. Sign a lease and look at all these politicians who showed up uh, mm-hmm. to cut this ribbon inside of this small office, inside of this enormous building that's been around for 15 years. And I'm given this emotional speech and up comes Rod Decker. Because who's, who's speaking after me? Governor Herbert. And the news cameras in the back of the room are not even recording my speech about how hard it is to sign a lease in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, they're like waiting for because Governor Herbert's going to say some things. And so as I'm giving this emotion, like thanking my wife, my parents are there. I'm all, oh, look at this. Did you ever think your boy could uh, sign a lease? How crazy is this? Rod Decker comes up and fumbles with uh, the microphone so that KUTV can get plugged in for half of my speech. He's like right in front of me. He's just like, hang on. I, I know you're saying some things right now, but like we got the governor coming up after you. And he's like, it won't take me too. He was talking to me as I'm talking to everyone else. He's like, it won't be too much longer, my friend. I'm like, Incredible. All right. Incredible. So I, feel like, I feel like we saw a little bit of that last night. We saw Rod 
being rod and every once in a while Heidi would like kind of lean over and be like we got it we got to cut him off like he's gonna move on we gotta get to the next question rod does not care rod is yeah. gonna rod why would he yeah why no would he? he deserves let that rod rod let uh, rod be rod it was an incredible performance coming out of mr decker last night so let's kind of give people a little bit of a explainer as to how the debate worked so Huntsman has tested positive for COVID as we discussed last week. And because of that, he needed to be in a remote location for this, which I think meant another place in the uh, black box theater where they filmed within Eccles. Uh, So he was over in a different room. They started out by having like a sit down, like Miss America interview with each of the candidates before they, they all got swimsuits. For and they all waved. They talked about world peace. Uh, they so they asked them questions. Each candidate got a different set of questions, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and then, so that was the first half of the debate. The second half of the debate was them all on stage, aside from Huntsman, who was in another room. Actually, Thanks to Spencer Cox. Debating. Spencer Cox, Ooh. Spencer, Spencer Cox, Cox as we dare, know, doesn't dare have Huntsman, Huntsman on COVID. the stage with him. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about what they said in those one-on-ones? Yes, I do for sure. They started out with Wright uh, and Rod. Right out the gate was like, "So tell us about this conversation you had with Herbert." And Wright was like, "Yeah, it happened. I don't love that it happened." Um, I am not going to drop out of this thing. I've always been an underdog. Utahns love underdogs. And then he said that he's going to really focus on education. He's going to be the education governor. Uh, we're going to focus on affordable housing. And he said that we need to spend money according to priorities. Our priorities are education. Education came up a lot last night. I was surprised by how education focused last night's debate was, given everything going on right now. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Imagine being Thomas Wright right now. Um, you're, the polls are showing you as like a pretty heavy underdog. And the only questions that he gets is like, hey, are you just going to drop out, do you think? Do you think? Yeah. Like, when are you going to drop out? And he expressed some frustration with that question. He said, I'm bummed we're talking about this because I have so much to offer the state of Utah. And again, I thought Wright's debate performance was pretty solid, like the last debate. I just feel like none of us know anything about him other than Rob Bishop being his running mate. Um, So I guess that's what happens when you're fourth place in the polls. Well, that's what happens when the media writes stories based off of polls. Oh, um, is this an indictment on the media? Is that no, where we're the, going? The way we cover elections is uh, entirely poll driven. Yeah. I mean, and like makes sense, right? We want to read stories about who might win. And so give the people what they want. But also let's hear about Thomas Wright and who he is. Huntsman was up next. Um, he actually was pretty restrained talking about COVID during this section. I was expecting him to go a little harder on that. Um, He said he's at about 50%. um, And then he quickly pivoted to talking about how this is a mental health issue um, and how we need to be better about addressing that in the future. He said that he's never been more prepared to be governor because of course it was like, well, you left us before. Why did you do that? And he talked about how when you're, called to do something you do it he made kind of a reference to growing up mormon and how you accept callings and whatnot he talked about his sons in the military and how he you know respects their decision to go and serve and do what they're asked to do and he felt like it was his calling to go be ambassador and then ambassador again and so yeah let's just let's just hang on here uh yeah I, i i love that answer i think it's right when the president of the united states calls and says, hey, uh, we need you to do an important position in a foreign country that you're uniquely qualified for, which he was in China. Um, I think that's a real decision. I don't fault him for making it. He also resigned uh, uh, that post and ran against that same president who called him in 2012. 
which is getting left out in this story. He mm. was ambassador to China uh, when President Obama called him. And then he's like, you know what? President Obama is not doing a good job. I'm going to run against him in 2012. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know what that is. Is that also <laughs> answering a, a call? I mean, we, we kind of all spin things how we want to spin them. And again, I don't think that the answer there is terrible, but he also did trash that exact same president who called him and so much so that he resigned his post uh, that that president gave him and called him to to run against him in 2012. Just to be clear. Got it. Uh, he wants to double the state GDP. This is the thing he's been repeating over and over and over. Uh, we're going to double the state GDP. We're going to be the cross world, cross, crossroads to the world. Not just the West, but the world. Uh, he was asked about vouchers for education. And he is still pro-vouchers, which is a controversial stance in the world of education. Uh, he does say that we need to pay teachers more and appreciate them. I just feel like the way you appreciate people is to pay them, right? So to say like, not only do we need to pay them, we need to appreciate them kind of feels like, no, let's just pay them more. Let's show our appreciation by paying them more. Um, and then he was asked if he wants to raise the minimum wage. And he said that, yeah, he still stands by that stance that he had when he was governor that we should raise the minimum wage. So then it was Spencer Cox. Yeah, um, I thought Huntsman did great. It was clear that he was battling COVID-19 um, and the fact that he showed up and I, I thought his one-on-one -on -one was, was fantastic. And I, was, think yeah. the answer, I think the answer, like when a president calls again, but, but there's some nuance there. Well, yeah. Yes. Everything, all of these people say there's nuance there. There's layers and layers to their answers and you need to be paying close attention to not just the debates, but everything leading into them to get that. Uh, there was a moment where you could tell he had like a runny nose and he had to like kind of take a second. I was like, oh yeah, he has COVID-19. Like this, this guy's sick and it is impressive that he's here at this debate. Um, no surprise, Cox was asked a lot about COVID-19 response, running the task force, Test Utah came up, uh, and it was pretty much like, sure, we made some mistakes, but our response overall has been good compared to responses across the country and across the world. Uh, he was asked about his support for Trump, which I thought was interesting because that has been a real sticky point for moderates. Um, let me talk. To, let me. Can I speak to this real quick? Because I'm seeing this on Twitter. Uh, wait, people the saying support like, for Trump, the support for Trump thing. Uh, and, and I don't understand it that 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 Spencer Cox by these moderates, by a lot of the people who have uh, who were Democrats or were unaffiliated and have now become Republicans to vote into this primary. They're saying I'm not going to vote for Cox because he supports Trump. Let me just give you a sense for the other three candidates you mm -hmm. are voting for. John mm -hmm. Huntsman endorsed, endorsed Donald Trump early on in 2016 and voted for him in 2016. Spencer Cox did not. Obviously, we all know where Greg Hughes stands, and I'm not even entirely sure what, I'm sure Thomas Wright voted for Donald Trump. The only candidate on that stage, as part of that debate, as I understand it, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, who did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016 is Spencer Cox. So if you're holding Cox accountable, which sure, I'm all for, hold him accountable for uh, a question that I asked uh, where he said he supports President Trump and it was asked again in, in this debate. If you want to hold him accountable for supporting Trump, fine. Do not then dismiss the fact that these other three candidates have been far more supportive to the president than <laughs> Spencer Cox. Is that I, fair? I don't know get that, the Cox that, supports Trump thing. I John have been in, worked for Donald Trump, endorsed yeah. Donald Trump in the, uh, in the primary, and voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Now, a lot of people in a Republican primary, that's actually really good for John Huntsman. Putting it out there is not a bad thing. But the moderates who are holding only Cox accountable, 
a guy who's the only one of these people who actually voted against Trump and spoke out and spoken out against Trump quite frequently in his career, he's the one that the moderates have a problem with supporting Trump. I've had a number of heated discussions about this of people who say, well, I'm not voting for Cox because he said he supports Trump. And then when I ask, well, how can you support Huntsman when he supports Trump? There's not a good answer. And it's the same point of frustration. I think that people were just really like, finally, we have a guy who's a Republican who's going to speak out against Trump. And when he didn't do that, the sense of disappointment turned a lot of people off to him. Whether or not that's fair is irrelevant. It was, he's not the guy we thought he was. I will say his answer last night was more the answer I wish he had given when initially asked about his support for Donald Trump in that first Silicon Slopes tech summit debate, because he said, essentially, we have very different styles, but the governor needs to have a relationship with the president. Uh, and it needs to be a good relationship for the sake of Utah. Um, I was actually just trying to find a tweet from Katie Matheson, who uh, is part of Better Days Utah, right? Uh, and she essentially said, like, the, who they support is irrelevant. It's about Utah. All of these guys support Donald Trump. They've all said that. We need to pick who cares most about Utah and who is going to be strategic in their relationship with the president for the benefit of Utah. I really hope I'm not misquoting her there, but that was the gist of it. And that was articulating something that I've been trying to articulate for a while. Like this is a Republican primary. They're all going to say that they support Donald Trump. That's kind of irrelevant to the conversation. The conversation is about who is going to be the best person for Utah and having a relationship with the president is part of that. Yeah, welcome to politics. So, so Spencer Cox should say, I don't support the leader of my party so that the, uh, the people who aren't even Republicans on Twitter uh, can be happy and he loses in a landslide. Like, welcome yeah. to politics. I mean, I feel like those of us who are unaffiliated or moderate or Democrat just need to come to terms with the fact that we are not the people these guys are campaigning to uh, because we're not the majority. We're not the voting block that's going to decide the next governor. Uh, and we need to accept that this is a Republican primary. You're voting. We're voting Republican for Republicans. Primary. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't like, know what. There's not a pure vote here and you're never going to have a pure vote, even in the coming presidential election. Like you're there's there's no perfect candidate. Right. You're just voting for who you think is going to do the best job and maybe be the least terrible, honestly. Yeah. I mean, when Mitt Romney, who, who you know, the, these folks are, are now in love with. Uh, and that'll change. Uh, but when Mitt Romney was running in, in 2012, they were, were critical of this guy's exact same person. Uh, when Mitt Romney was running for Senate in, in Utah, uh, he didn't denounce Trump vehemently as he's as yeah. a candidate. Like, where, what do you think you're you you are now a Republican voting in a Republican <laughs> party, a pr Republican primary. And the, the leader of that party happens to be Donald Trump. Yeah. Welcome to politics. Yeah. Politics is stupid. I mean, yeah, don't don't get involved if you don't like this. I mean, politics is very gross. And to get things done, you have to accept that it's going to be gross and it's going to be a gnarly process. And you're going to have to compromise on things that you strongly believe in uh, for the sake of getting things done. So, so that was part of it. We did skip over uh, some of the things. The, the bulk of Cox's one-on-one -on -one was around the state's response to coronavirus, his, uh, him being the head of the coronavirus task force. He did get asked directly about uh, Test Utah. How do you think he handled that part of it? The same way he's handled it before, just saying like, look, this is, we did it all quickly to get it done because it needed to get done. We were in an emergency response period and it wasn't perfect, but it was effective. What did you think? 
I mean, I'm not sure. I, I think in, in a lot of ways, Test Utah has been a bit of a manufactured scandal. Mm. If, the, if the test didn't work and if the lab didn't work, the Utah Department of Health, which runs Test Utah, which has been left out in all of the coverage, I know I say this every week, but the Utah Department of Health runs Test Utah. If the test did not work, if the lab did not work, it would be shut down. It has not been shut down, and that is a decision that has been made by the Utah Department of Health. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, there's all these stories now about, like, these CALEA audits, and it's my understanding that every lab that uh, gets a CALEA audit has a number of different things that they have to go correct within a certain time frame. The only time those CALEA audits are, are devastating is when they shut you down. The Mount Timpanogos lab is another thing. Test Utah is not a lab. Test Utah has mm-hmm. never been a lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these, these uh, entrepreneurs and companies did not create a lab from scratch. Uh, they partnered with HCA, the largest hospital system in the country, to run a lab. And then the criticism of uh, Mount Tipinogos is like, hey, you, they've never done COVID-19 uh, testing. And then, you know, if you're Mount Tipinogos and HCA, you're like, well, nobody's ever done COVID-19 testing. Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure, like, let, let's release all the lab in Utah's Kalia audits and see if all of them got perfect scores. I promise you they didn't. Uh, let's release all the uh, accuracy results for all the different tests instead of just co-diagnostics. And I promise you it's not the same. We're even seeing it's getting so weird uh, in, in this coverage of Test Utah that, continue, again, is like it really feels like a manufactured scandal. Um, in, in a lot of ways. I think there's real questions and those questions should be asked and those questions should be answered. But you're seeing like there was a there was a story, I believe it was yesterday or the day before where a Cayman Islands company, like some shady Cayman Islands company, like you don't you're not you don't base your company in Cayman Islands. Uh, unless uh, you can't really base your company anywhere else. Let's just be very clear. I wish there was somebody who understood business a little bit in the coverage of Test Utah. They're doing a lawsuit, like a shareholder lawsuit, saying that co-diagnostics, again, like who does tests is what they do. They're a publicly traded molecular diagnostics company. They're saying co-diagnostics put out uh, wrong information about their test and they're suing because uh, they're claiming that they bought their stock based off of the information that co-diagnostics put out. Any business reporter would look at that and that's not even a story. The odds of that um, even making it in front of a judge are super slim. The odds of it getting to a judge and him not uh, just immediately dismissing it are super slim and the odds of this lawsuit making any getting anywhere to a trial or even a settlement is are almost non-existent these types of things happen all the time let again let's write about every shareholder lawsuit from anyone else who's doing anything in in, in the public uh markets and see you know it just all feels very manufactured i mean a cayman islands company suing co-diagnostics is like proof that co-diagnostics tests don't work. It's fascinating. Who do you think is manufacturing the scandal if it's a manufactured scandal? I think, you know, I think there, there's legitimate questions and there's legitimate concerns about, you know, when uh, companies that are, have not historically been involved in this space jump into this space um, and you wonder like, hey, why are you in this space? How did all this come together? Uh, there's, there's talk of like no bid contracts. I think the way that it was pitched early on, and, and you know, I played a major role in this, uh, the, the way it was pitched early on was like it would be a philanthropic effort. It, it quickly evolved because the original idea was like, hey, we're going to build a website and assessment. Um, then the state can use it however they want. And that's what we do. And you know, it just felt like everything else Silicon Slopes does, and it quickly turned into a bigger thing. So I'm not dismissing the questions, but the implications in the stories is that the test doesn't work and the lab doesn't work. And mm-hmm. these guys have fraudulently, the, these companies have fraudulently taken money from the state of Utah, promising things that they can't deliver on. And my sense of it is that's entirely inaccurate. And if it were true, why hasn't the Utah Department of Health shut them down? Okay, because this is run by the state of Utah. 
uh, you keep calling it a manufactured scandal. Is it the media manufacturing it? And to what end? I think the stories are incomplete. The stories are, uh, again, like the Cayman Islands thing, uh, which is, you know, now like the big uh, story. It's like, oh, a Cayman Islands company is suing co-diagnostics uh, because they, however they're describing it and not understanding like that stuff happens all the time. No chance that lawsuit goes anywhere. Uh, what are we talking about? Right. Um, and so I just feel like it's been incomplete. I don't mind the reporting necessarily. I, I have some issues with it, of course, um, just because, you know, I know these people and I know that they're, they've uh, stepped up when called upon and, and they're serving the state of Utah. Like, uh, let me give you an example, like the Qualtrics contract. Qualtrics um, builds assessments. That's what they do. They're an $8 billion company. Um uh, now part of SAP, so they're worth uh, quite a bit more than $8 billion. One of, maybe the top five most valuable tech companies in the entire world. Uh, they're, they're being cast, the way that, the way that contract is being uh, portrayed is Qualtrics like, uh, fraudulently got a contract from the state of Utah and tried to like, uh, steal money out of the state of Utah for like a million dollar contract. I can tell you this contract is meaningless to an $8 billion company, which is part of SAP, a much bigger company. And there would be no point for Qualtrics to do that, to try to, uh, you know, steal money from the state of Utah. And by the way, when Qualtrics sold for $8 billion, how much money, how much of that went to the state of Utah? Quite a bit, mm -hmm. like significantly more than this measly contract that again, like in the scheme of things on the Qualtrics books probably means nothing. And so again, like I'm not complaining about the questions. I'm honestly not even complaining about the coverage. I just feel like it's incomplete. Like that side of the story has not been told about like what a contract like this would even mean for a company like Qualtrics. Do we really think they would risk their reputation and you know, everything uh, that they are as a company to try to like fraudulently build an assessment and they didn't fraudulently build the assessment. They actually built the assessment. It works great. So I don't, I don't get it. You know, the controversy uh, is uh, non-existent in my mind. And, and it, it's clear to me why it's being spun as a controversy. It's because Spencer Cox is the head of the coronavirus task force. Only there was someone who could tell the complete story. Someone could tell a story about this, right? I, I keep saying this on this show. Uh, this story is in early innings. It's not going to end the way you think it's currently going to end. I promise you that. Well, that's a cliffhanger if ever there was one. Uh, let's talk about Hughes. I mean, it was what you would expect. He was asked if he believes the protesters are thugs, like President Trump has said on more than one occasion. He essentially said yes. <laughs> Uh, he, he was asked about the Inland Port. Clint, anytime the Inland Port comes up, I am, I have tried so many times to understand what's going on with the Inland Port and it still evades me. Like complete understanding of what it all means is beyond my intellectual capacity. He did say that if Salt Lake doesn't want it, there's lots of rural areas that would be excited at the chance to have an inland port there. I think that that's kind of a non-starter because the location of the inland port is really significant to be out there by the airport, a place where a lot of different routes meet. I could gravely be misunderstanding that. Um, essentially, he stands behind the inland port and the decisions that were made in the legislature to put it where it's planned to go. Uh, he talked about Operation Rio Grande and how they got competing drug cartels out of there. Um, and then COVID and how it's time to reopen the economy. And it was never about stopping people from dying. It was about trying to spread the cases out so the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. And Rod really pushed back on that and was essentially like, so you're cool with just letting people die. <laughs> You think we should just let people die? And Hughes tried his best to not flat out say, yes, I'm okay with that. But the answer was essentially like, it's time that we just go back to normal. Any thoughts from you on Hughes? Hughes knows a lot about the Inland Port. 
yeah he, he's kind of an expert on that issue whether you, whether you uh, agree or disagree with with that um uh, I don't know any that any of these candidates understand that issue as well as as Greg Hughes. I've had a lot of conversations with them about it. I don't know what an inland port is. Uh, I'm not sure why we need it. It seems like when you can choose the type of jobs you want, uh, why would you choose those types of jobs? Uh, but uh, he makes a really strong case for why that's needed and it's interesting uh I, I think whenever he's talking about issues like that that he is super knowledgeable about uh that's where he's at his best yeah yeah i will say that's when he sounded the most competent and informed of the entire debate so then they all got on stage together with the exception of huntsman who was still in a remote location and kind of had it out uh we started with questions about you know, racism and police reform and everything that's been shaking the country for the last two or so weeks. Uh, and it started out with Thomas Wright saying that defund means reform, which I was appreciative of because I feel like defund the police is a phrase that scares a lot of voters. Um, and what defund the police really means is looking at the money we allot to police departments and giving some of that to other social services that might be better qualified to help in situations where currently the police are called. Um, that's a distinction I wish that we were all making a lot all over the place so that we understood this movement better and what exactly people are asking for. So I thought it was great that he made that distinction. Um, and then Cox said that he acknowledged that real racism is happening in our state uh, Hughes suggested that we set up a system where uh, officers kind of report on each other when they see misconduct, kind of like, um, I saw someone tweet that it's like the honor code office at BYU. <laughs> we all know how well that works. Uh, Huntsman said we need leadership. He said we are a civil, a civil society and we need to bring people together for finding solutions. And then he quoted de Tocqueville, which I thought was like, Cool. Sophomore year of history. Love it. Don't remember anything about de Tocqueville, but uh, he said we all must pull together to heal our wounds. Felt a little platitude if we're being honest. Um, Cox then went on to say that defunding police is the worst thing we could do and that legislators need to work to put into place changes. Hughes really went hard on Erin Mendenhall saying that she didn't like, he didn't like the way she handled the situation and that she should have stopped rioting as soon as it started happening. How could Huntsman, Mayor Mendenhall yeah. stop rioting as soon as it happened? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Hughes knows that. Um, Huntsman says we have to have leadership. We all have two ears and one mouth, and we need to listen to both sides, both sides here being the police and people calling for police reform. Then they pivoted to COVID, um, and Huntsman reiterated the point he's been making for a while now that the COVID task force was being used for political purposes because... Spencer Cox is the head of the COVID-19 task force, and he said that it should have been public health experts leading it and no politicians. Um, I don't know how practical that is. What do you think? Do you think that would have been possible if we just had Angela Dunn lead the COVID-19 task force? No, this is, this is where Huntsman always looks the weakest and most petty in, in my mind yeah. is uh, when he, like, is he saying he wanted to appoint Michelle Kafusi? to uh, task forces that um, have any sort of substance or where leadership is needed? I don't think so. Um, and, and how do you hold uh, not somebody who is not an elected official accountable for these types of decisions? It doesn't make any sense at all. This is far and away his weakest argument. And, and it's unfortunate that he talks about it like this. I don't, I don't get it. Especially when he, his big talking point is we need leadership. We need leadership in all these situations, leadership, leadership, leadership. And then to say that the leaders of the state should not be involved in a response to a pandemic is a little wacky, right? And a little opportunist, I think. 
Well, they're getting everything wrong on this. I mean, this is where, like, uh, like it's very clear who everybody on the stage thought was winning this race. They were all attacking Spencer Cox at, at every yeah. single turn. Um, and, and so it's clear to me that Spencer is ahead. You, you can kind of tell uh, based on the way people debate on, on whether, you know, they believe they're behind or whether they believe they're ahead. This is yeah. where Cox took a lot of hits here. A lot of them are, again, uh, not entirely being made in good faith. For example, uh, Huntsman said his family went through hell trying to get test results back, and he tried to tie it to Test Utah. John Huntsman did not get tested at a Test Utah site. Uh, that's just the fact of the matter. The only, the only thing John Huntsman did related to Test Utah is he took the assessment online it told him to, hey you probably have COVID-19 you should quarantine as it turns out the testuta.com assessment was right he did have COVID-19 he should have quarantined he did not get tested at a testuta.com site he got tested with the Salt Lake County Health Department um, and so and, and Spencer Cox does not run the Salt Lake County Health Department has no jurisdiction over that it's so unclear but they're trying to tie it into uh, Spencer Cox and, and they're trying to tie uh, Spencer Cox is running Test Utah when all we've heard from the media for the past two and a half, three months is Mark Newman runs Test Utah. And so there's going to be some confusion on that. And so it's just all convoluted and everything around Test Utah. And that's all I'll say about Test Utah the rest of the show, I promise. The other piece of this, though, is the no bid contracts. Yeah, we'll get they, there. Okay, keep going then. First, let's talk about uh, Wright said Cox took credit for what citizens did well uh, in COVID response. So Cox pushed back here. He said, there they go again. Our response was not perfect, but the people of Utah can be proud. Um, Huntsman pushed back with that, saying that leadership, his favorite word, is about taking responsibility. And he mentioned that it took four to five days to get the test results back. And we talked about this last week. Regardless of how long it took to get your test results back, you should be quarantined, right? Like you, it wouldn't make a difference whether or not you had COVID. He was supposed to just be in his house. What's, what's the difference? I mean, this, your test results don't determine if you live or die. It just determines if you do, in fact, have the disease you think you have. Uh, so I'm not sure about that, testing, that talking about, I do get that that's a little frustrating, but he made it sound like their lives hung in the balance waiting for the test results to get back. Yeah. Yeah. I um, promise I'm going to talk about testing, but I have one more little shot here. Uh, where's the breathless coverage over this lab and this testing company for getting this wrong? I don't know, Clint. I'm sorry. I don't have the answer anyway. for you. Anyway. Um, and so then they talked about a vaccine, right? We're hoping for a vaccine in the fall, possibly winter. Lots of vaccines are... Yeah, actually being manufactured, uh, whether or not they're proven to work. We are hoping to get a vaccine as soon as possible. So the question came up, will it be mandatory for people to get a vaccine? And they all said no to varying degrees of, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, emphaticness. Um, Hughes said absolutely no for a mandatory vaccine. Cox said, we'll give people a vaccine it's a choice, but they need to take it very seriously. Um, and then Wright said he kind of managed to pivot his answer into uh, we will not govern by executive order, meaning they're not going to make it mandatory for everybody to get vaccine. And then he transitioned that into these no bid contracts. Uh, and talking about how Spencer Cox is responsible for wasted money. Where's the money? We want to see where the money was spent. And Cox came back and said that every dime that has been spent is public. It's been released. People can figure out where it is. There is nothing to hide. And then Huntsman asked, why is the state auditor looking into those numbers? Um, your thoughts on that? Well, this, uh, I agree with you, what you said earlier around Thomas Wright having good debate performances uh, all around. And, and every debate I've watched, I feel like Thomas Wright has actually done an excellent job. This is, again, where he was the weakest, where he says he's not going to do any no-bid contracts if he's governor. I can tell you right now, every single one of these people uh, would do that uh, when he said, <laughs> Let, let's just talk about what a no-bid contract is, because I know it sounds like super scary, 
uh, and it sounds like, oh, it's something super nefarious. The reason why no bid contracts exist in the middle of a pandemic is you do not have time. Yeah. You do not have time. So imagine if this, if we did do no bid contracts uh, for, and, and almost all of this hundred million or a huge percentage of it was spent on personal protective equipment uh, for, for medical uh, professionals who were on the front lines of COVID-19. Let's play it out. Let's say, let's abolish no bid contracts in the middle of a pandemic. So you have to get, submit an RFP, which is a request for proposal to the state of Utah to say, I should be the company that you go through to buy this PPE. That t- that's a weeks long process. That's weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to compile all those RFP, RFPs, to figure out which one you're going to choose. So we're like deciding to buy PPE and who to buy it from two months down the road, a month down the road, three weeks down the road, say they expedite it two weeks down the road. When you need PPE tomorrow, when you needed PPE yesterday, how in the hell do you govern with in the middle of a pandemic and eliminate no bid contracts for things like that? Now you can say the the app piece, uh, you know, the, this healthy together app, which again blows the whole argument that Spencer Cox is giving money to his cronies because it's a New York based company that the state of Utah doesn't know that built this healthy together app, um, and you know it doesn't seem to be working or even happening currently, and they spent mm-hmm. six million dollars on it. But uh, e- e- even that. Like, how do we, how do you do this with, so, so the way these are portrayed is like no bid contracts, no bid contracts. Everyone acts like that's like, it's illegal or something like it's that. No, that's not a, uh, that's not a bug. That's a feature of the way our state is run in the middle of a crisis. And that's how every state is run and the entire country is run. So there's no way in hell. It's just total bullshit by Thomas Wright to say that he would eliminate no bid contracts in the middle of a pandemic. That was wrong. And this is again, where they're, where they're using a public health crisis and turning it into politics. Yeah. And I I think that they are selectively forgetting the sense of panic we all had in mid March uh, and how desperate people were to get things going and get things moving. And if there's one thing I know about government, it's that it moves very slowly. And I can't imagine the time it would have taken had we opened up these contracts for bidding, right? Like we'd probably still be reviewing all of those contracts and not have decided on anything yet. I just don't know of a better scenario for getting testing in place and getting Utah where it is now, which is looking you know, relatively unscathed had we not had these no bid contracts. It's crazy. And you, and like, like Cox said, like you do make mistakes in that process in the, in the fog of war in the middle of a pandemic, you're going to, you're not, not everything you do is going to be absolutely correct. I mean, the hydroxychloroquine thing is a, is a strong example of that, but they've also like cleaned that up. They got the $800,000 back. I mean, I, it's to politicize a public health crisis and then to accuse the guy who's the head of the task force of being the one to politicize it feels gross. It's gross, but I think it's what happens when there's a pandemic in an election year. Right. Um, we pivoted then to education. Um, Huntsman said that it's time to use the rainy day fund. We need to prioritize how we use that rainy day fund, a fund of a billion dollars. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere He's, around there. He said uh, we need to put more money into social services, which is an interesting talking point for someone running in a Republican primary. He said that we have become the buckle of the suicide belt and that we really need to spend time, energy, money on solving this suicide epidemic that Utah has been struggling with for a long time now. Um, Cox says that we have been preparing, we, the state of Utah, have been preparing for a downturn like this for years, and that we can budget in a way that will mean no cuts for education. And he got pretty real about this because Rod said, does that mean teachers are going to get everything that they asked for? I don't know if you remember the walkout, you know, earlier this year, back before the world turn upside down. They were asking just for more money uh, to fund their classrooms. And he said, that's probably not doable. The things that they were asking for, 
probably feasibly are not going to happen this year, but we won't have to make more cuts to set them back further than they already were, which is a pretty honest answer, honestly. Wright said that this is our opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons. Uh, he talked about his experience as a business owner and how there are times when you're in a downturn when you can actually do better as a company because of it by reviewing your budget and making cuts. He talked about kind of consolidating different departments of all the educational institutions around the state uh, to essentially make lemonade out of the lemons we've been given due to COVID-19. Um, Huntsman talked a lot about growth. Uh, he said we need to do more. Again, double the GDP. His whole thing is we need to think bigger. Uh, we're going to get a lot of people moving into the state. We need to make sure we're ready for that, uh, have places for people to live, have ways for them to get around, so on and so forth. Things got really weird. Hughes started talking about how Cox has received money from an education lobbying group, if I'm understanding it right, um, that support him and his campaign. And he said that the slavery or the curriculum erases pilgrims and focuses on slavery. I was having a really hard time following it. Did you understand what he was talking about there? No, not really. I don't, yeah, I'd never heard of, but I'm not, yeah, I don't, yeah. It was know. very like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm sensitive to talking points because of what's happened the last few weeks, but it sounded like it was kind of like, well, let's not erase the white people from history to talk more about the black people in history. Like, it just got a little weird. No one really knew how to respond. Um, and then Cox pretty much came back, was like, I'm glad that teachers are supporting me. Like, I think that's great that this, these teachers think I'll do a good job. Uh, Huntsman said that we need to make Utah education a world-class education so we can, again, be the crossroads of the world. He said he's seen how education is working in China and that China is doing a better job of preparing their students. Uh, and we need to level up, get on their level. Uh, and he also said that given the dysfunction in Washington, it's becoming clear that Utah is going to need to be solving problems on a local level um, and that transparency is going to be important in all of that. He said transparency is powerful. Then it was time for the final statements. Um, Cox said that he and Abby are running for governor, which reminds me of when a husband says we're pregnant, like, Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're running for governor, right? Uh, he said that they've worked hard to run a positive campaign. He says he loves Utah. They've built the best economy in the nation over the last 10 years. He said, I believe in the goodness of our children and teachers. He wants to build the best education system in the nation. He also says politics has become toxic and divisive, divisive, divisive. He wants to bridge the divide between Republicans and Democrats. And he says Utah can be the shining example of how to do that. Huntsman thanked Michelle Kafusi. He saluted Cage Allen, who just passed away overseas as a fighter pilot in training. Uh, he was a pilot from Utah. He said, I don't need a title or portrait. He said, I've got that, which is like, nice flex, John. Um, but that he just, he thinks he can do a good job and that he'll be a good governor. Hughes, <laughs> he just attacked Huntsman. He said, I can hear the diplomatic tone in Huntsman. There's an agenda there. He said, we need bold leadership uh, in a healthcare crisis. And then Wright said, this is about our citizens. It's the people of Utah who make this place great. And we need a business person and government needs to know its role. And that was the debate. Final thoughts, Clint? Um, you know, I, I think Huntsman did well, particularly around uh, towards the end. Whenever he says crossroads of the world, for some reason, like, You're I'm all in. You're a sucker that. for that. I, think, I actually think that's, like, so cool. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I, his, his answers around uh, education were, were super interesting. I think Wright did well, except for when, again, he went negative and, and just, you know, there's no way. That, that no-bid contract thing where he said he's, he would get rid of those, it's all right. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to be totally ineffective in the middle of a crisis. Hughes, again, just super honest about who, the type of governor he'd be. 
that I mean, uh, that is exactly the type of governor that that you're going to get. And, um, you know, when he, when he goes deep on the issues that he really knows about, like Operation Rio Grande and Inland Port, it's actually really interesting. That guy really knows policy when, it, when he goes really deep on it. And so I thought he did o- overall fine. I think Spencer Cox won hands down. Uh, he, he, I thought he handled all of the uh, tax with class, like it or not. I mean, some people who are, you know, Cox fans may want him to push back harder and also go on attack himself. But he made a promise to run a positive campaign, and it seems like he's held true to that promise, even under fire, which he was under fire this entire debate. I thought he handled it perfect. I loved his answers. I think Spencer Cox won this debate, and I don't even think it was close. So something I said to my husband yesterday pre-watching this debate is that I feel like Cox is bringing hugs to a knife fight, right? Like every time he's attacked, he's like, oh, guys, let's all just be friends. I'm praying for you, whatever. But I actually think that he handled himself really well last night, that he gave honest answers that were a good defense of the things he was being attacked for. So I agree with you. I think that Cox won the debate. I've got my ballot. I'm going to fill it out. I'm ready to vote. Uh, That's the end. That's the end of our debate. That's the rest of the debates. No more heading into the primary election. Last poll I saw had Huntsman a little bit ahead. It's going to be a really interesting, what's the date? Like 12 days here before we know who the Republican candidate is going to be for governor. I kind of think it's anyone's at this point, anyone meaning Huntsman or Cox. Um, going to be really interested to see how this plays out yeah well uh you know again uh you know it was awesome to see john even even show up given he has COVID 19 um i think they all represented themselves well this stuff is really hard um go vote go become a republican and vote if if you care about who the next governor is and we will be back next wednesday Oh, wait, before we go, check out the Beehive oh. today. We've got stuff. I wrote a piece about driving on I-15 and what a nightmare that is. <laughs> so go read that if you want. You don't have to. I don't know. Um, and we have why, though? You guys did some why, those this week. Yeah. You can go check that out if you want. <laughs> why, those? Cool. All right. What what tepid uh, <laughs> tepid endorsements we're giving our content this week? But we will be back, I'm sure, with more scandals, more hot goss from the political world as this race heats up, and we will see you all then. See you.